The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. In just my family alone, both my parents have had cancer, father-in-law and a very dear friend. This is sadly a very common story. According to Australian statistics, cancer is the major cause of illness in Australia. There are over 1 million people alive in Australia who have either been living with or have lived with cancer. Over time, there has been improvements in treatments and care of cancer, which has made a big difference to our survival. So I thought it would be important to speak with Dr. Andrew Dean, Oncology, Palliative, General Medicine Specialist from St. John of God Hospital, Subiaco, and ask him questions about cancer and cancer treatment. We're with Dr. Andrew Dean at St. John of God Hospital, Subiaco. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Dean. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me along. So tell us, why do we get cancer and what is cancer? Well, just I'll answer the reverse way around. We get, um, cancer is an abnormal proliferation of cells. Mm-hmm. Um, and unlike benign proliferations of cells, such as, say, warts um, or little skin tags, although these are abnormal proliferations of cells, they don't invade the surrounding tissue and they don't have the ability to spread elsewhere. So cancer is an abnormal proliferation of cells that somehow lose the ability to stop growing and spread to other parts of the body and invade into the adjacent tissue. Okay, so why are we getting cancer? So why do we get cancer? Well, um, unfortunately... But everyone that comes through your... Everyone who comes to the door at some point says, why me? Absolutely. Why me? Why me? And the answer is sometimes it's just a bad deck of cards uh, that you've been dealt, so genetics. Mm -hmm. And it can be something such as inheriting the BRCA gene, which is the breast cancer and ovary cancer gene. Uh, That often predisposes people to development of lots of different tumours, mainly breast and ovary, but also can predispose to stomach cancer, esophageal cancer, pancreatic cancer, endometrial cancer, etc. And if your parent has that gene, you have a 50-50 likelihood that you've inherited it. And often these are family histories which are very heavy in breast cancer and ovary cancer and on the male side there's a you know big incidence of prostate cancer Mm. so sometimes it's just a bad deck of cards and you a mixture of the genes that you've inherited and sometimes it's due to certain toxin exposures the obvious one being cigarette smoke Mm. and lung cancer so um, we know that you know cigarette smoke causes a number of different cancers in particular lung cancer uh, throat cancer, esophageal cancer, and bladder cancer, and you know when people are diagnosed with these cancers, they'll often say, "Oh well, now I've got cancer. I take it. There's no point in stopping." But there's good evidence that the cigarette smoke continues its toxic effects in stimulating the cells after they've become cancerous to behave in even more aggressive manner than the you know than the original cancer cells. So that's actually a good myth. I know we sh- we're going to talk about myths later, but that's definitely a good misconception that 
that I thought as well that, you know, maybe you get cancer very sadly and then you're a smoker and people think, well, why quit now? It's done its damage. But the evidence is saying... Yeah, the evidence is that if you continue to smoke cigarettes, that the toxins in the cigarettes uh, stimulate further mutations and bad behaviour, aggressive behaviour in the cancer cells. Okay. And what about the different stages of cancer that people talk about? What does that actually mean? So... The original idea of staging was really a method of communicating uh, the best approach for treatment. So, for instance, the general uh, plan, the general suggestion would be that for a stage one cancer, which is very early, so bear in mind that cancer stage one to four, that for a stage one cancer, the treatment is generally surgical. In other words, it's a local treatment for a local tumour that hasn't shown any signs of spread. Generally, a stage 2 cancer is either a bigger cancer or a cancer that's spread to nearby lymph nodes. Stage 3 is what we call a locally advanced cancer. There's a slight exception in that with bowel cancer, stage 2 is more to do with the size of the tumour rather than involvement of lymph nodes. Once the lymph nodes are involved, becomes stage three. But with most cancers, stage two is a bigger tumour with or without perhaps involvement of local lymph nodes. Stage three is locally advanced. So, for instance, you may have a, a locally advanced breast cancer that's not immediately fixed with surgery. And you'd give chemotherapy or radiotherapy first in an effort to shrink the tumour down in order to then what we call downstage the tumour, make it smaller and therefore more able to be, uh, you know, removed surgically with curative intent. Mm. And then stage four is where uh, the tumour has spread to distant organs. And this is something where, you know, generally surgery is not usually a part of the uh, treatment um, paradigm, mm. uh, with the exception of something, say, such as ovary cancer, where... Uh, people with ovary cancer that may have spread to the lining of the lung and caused fluid around the lung, um, that's regarded as a stage four ovarian cancer. But, um, you know, that's usually treated with chemotherapy up front, followed by surgery, followed by more chemotherapy. And there is actually a significant cure rate for those forms of stage four uh, ovarian cancer where the spread is actually very small you know mm. outside the abdomen and I think that's one of the biggest difficulties for me is that people in the community mm. will say to each other oh what stage is your cancer yes and if someone says oh stage four um, I've heard them say some of the most horrific things oh. like oh well you've only got weeks to live then oh, and gosh. you know things which are absolutely terrible you know because bear in mind things like you know a number of stage four tumors are still curable such yeah. as people with um, stage four lymphoma the cure rates um, you know up around the 50 to 60 yes. percent uh, for stage four lymphoma and even like I mentioned stage four ovarian cancers you know there's a significant cure rate there and we've all got patients who've got stage four breast cancer, stage four colon cancer mm. that have been cured you know, with prolonged therapy. And that's yes. a really, really important message for people to yes. take. The diagnosis of stage four cancer 
is not an automatic, you know, instant death sentence where it means you've got weeks to live. And I think that's that's probably one of the most unkind things that gets spoken about in the community. Yeah, and I think that's important to clarify today. So in terms of the stages at the moment, in terms of our treatment, they are in fact curing patients with All stage four. All sorts of different stages of cancer. Yeah. And, you know, whilst the cure rate for stage four breast cancer may be very low and the cure rate for you know, stage four colon cancer may be relatively low, it's certainly not zero. And nobody ever starts treatment thinking, oh, well, I hope I hope I just do okay. I hope I don't do exceptionally well. And I think, you know, that if somebody does have, for instance, you know, a colon cancer with one or two spots in the liver, nowadays with the aggressive surgery to take the colon cancer out, surgery to remove the liver lesions, followed by chemotherapy, you know, there is a really significant cure rate for stage mm. four colon cancer yeah. in, in that in that scenario. No, that's good to know. And in terms of in Australia, what's the cancers that are most of us are perhaps getting? Is there? Well, I'm going to give you good news. Yes. And I'm going to give you the bad news. And we'll start with well, firstly the bad news. I'd say, well, you know, the usual suspects for common cancers mm. are uh, breast, lung, colon, prostate, mm. and then all the other cancers. Yes. Uh, obviously, we have a, a population which is highly exposed to ultraviolet and, mm. uh, you know, particularly uh, in our generation, mm. uh, you know, people who, uh, it, it was always good to have a healthy town and to be running around the beach. I was only just getting memories, these flashbacks of covering myself in coconut oil and my parents going, you don't need sunscreen out, you get. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. And so there we were in our tiny little speedos prancing <laughs> around the beach, uh, getting charred by the second. And of course, so we are seeing a significant amount of malignant melanoma and wow. in many respects more so yes. than, you know, the rest of the world. Uh, you know, Queensland is, is in a very similar position to us. And we also uh, had the main asbestos centre mm. for, uh, you know, for Australia and consequently uh, Western Australia has one of the highest incidences of mesothelioma in the world. And mm. because of that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of WA research and innovations that are being put into the treatment of, of mesothelioma. Yeah. So although... You know, we are getting all the common cancers and we do have some particular issues relating to skin cancers, both melanoma and squamous cell cancers. So mm. in other words, cancers caused by excessive sunlight. Mm. Um, you know, we also have one of the best medical research um, states where an awful lot of time and effort and money is put into, you know, furthering um, better outcomes for all, of, all the usual cancers. Yes. And if you look at Australia as a whole... Um, the the countries in the world that have the best outcome from cancer are Is Australia, Canada, and Sweden. Wow! And Denmark has now recently improved a, a fair bit to sort of join those top three. But um, the outcome of result, you know, the results, the successes of treating cancer here mm. in Australia it's are high. actually really, really good. So, and it's because of research. Um, the reasons why? I mean, people are always very you know, very keen to knock the government and to say, mm. oh, you know, they should make these drugs available, etc. But we've seen some very uh, interesting um, happenings around the world where, for instance, uh, in America, mm. um, 
due to pressure by a lobby group and their political system over there, uh, a drug called bevacizumab was licensed for breast cancer, uh, despite the fact that there were, uh, were then many, many subsequent other trials which show that this drug didn't work in breast cancer. Mm. Um, the drug was continued uh, to be used at the cost of uh, billions of dollars per year. Now, happily, the Australian government has actually not bowed to pressure from lobby groups and bases its approvals on uh, on good evidence. So in other words, good randomised trials which give you a very high degree of certainty that a new drug actually does work and yeah. does change the cure rate uh, or prolong people's life expectancies yes. um, you know, significantly. And once drugs are actually shown to be effective, uh, particularly if it's for a disease where there aren't many treatment choices, you, uh, the government, uh, the Australian government, has been extremely quick to uh, to approve uh, those. Yeah. Oh, that's good to so, know. So, so for instance, um, you know, in melanoma, a few years ago, we really had not much treatment. We, you know, we had a, we had very poor chemotherapy that would occasionally work. Mm. Whereas, uh, you know, now, very quickly as the drugs started to show effect, we've got the we've got great selection of BRAF drugs, MEK inhibitors, and of course immune therapies. And uh, relatively speaking, these drugs have been made available very, very quickly compared to how long it takes in the rest of the world. So as a medical oncologist, how do you actually decide what treatment a patient's going to have? Is it all cancer-dependent? Is it what stage? I mean, it all seems very complicated. Well, for instance... Um, you know, if we look at, say, some of the survival rates, so the good news is that when somebody walks into your office with breast cancer for that first time, um, they are probably going to have somewhere around an 85% likelihood of being cured forever by the treatments that are available. That's now, good. sometimes that treatment is a combination of chemotherapy, hormonal therapy, uh, plus or minus fancy antibodies such as uh, trastuzumab, which is an antibody against a protein found on certain breast cancer cells called HER2. And uh, so sometimes a combination of chemotherapy, uh, plus or minus um, targeted therapies like antibodies, uh, or sometimes it's literally just treatment with hormonal therapy. Mm. And so not everybody who has cancer needs chemotherapy. So for instance, melanoma which is the example I gave before, used to be a disease that was treated very poorly with chemotherapy. But nowadays, uh, hardly anybody with melanoma gets chemo because the immune therapies have proven so effective and some of the targeted therapies like the BRAF drugs have likewise been incredibly good. Mm. So I think that's certainly a mis misunderstanding out there is that we all might think when we think of cancer that everyone's going to need surgery and everyone ends up on chemo with their hair falling out and we get all these sort of, mm. we conjure up all these worst case scenarios or perhaps situations that might have been the case maybe 10 years ago in our mind. But it seems that a lot has evolved where certain cancers have so many other options now. Is that true? I think that's a very good point. I think that, um, you know, the, the advent of targeted therapies were due to well, it's really due to improvements in computing rather than necessarily great advances in medicine. But thanks to the improvements in computing, we're able to analyze DNA from tumor cells yeah. very, very quickly and actually find mutations which might be responsible for driving the activity mm. of the cancer. And we have specific drugs which we call targeted therapies which can switch off 
those uh, overactive genes. And this can produce substantial remissions and very, very long durations of response, even in people with very, very widespread, you know, stage four uh, cancers. You say, say, why, you know, why have we got such good successes here in Australia? And firstly, is we get the drugs quickly. Yes. We're not shy about losing, about, uh, we're not shy about using the drugs. Mm. So I think we're we're known as very early adopters of technology, especially if the evidence is there. Yep, absolutely. So in terms of you know what treatment choices do we as oncologists make for our patients? They're based on the pathology. They're based on the staging investigations, and of course, then the evidence that's accumulated over the last hundred. Two, even 200 years mm. um, regarding the best way to treat certain diseases and conditions. Now, yes. often this is in the form of uh, what we call randomised phase three trials, which are regarded as very high, a very high level of evidence. So you know that if a drug is shown to work under that kind of rigorous testing, it's beyond reasonable doubt you yes. know, that this treatment is good. Yes. And so... You know, we base our treatment on evidence. We base our treatment on discussion at multidisciplinary team meetings and, of course, experience. And um, those of us who work here at St. John of God's Subiaco Hospital all have uh, particular expertise in um, what we call subspecialties of oncology. And we all work together where... We, you know, we, we discuss uh, difficult cases with our colleagues and mm. take advantage of the many, many years of experience uh, you know, that's assembled under this roof. So let's talk about um, some myths. So first myth I want you to answer is everyone that gets cancer ends up on chemo. Not true. Okay. Um, chemotherapy is a very valuable method of treating most most cancers actually, and it has it evolved. Oh, absolutely! Like has from it evolved. the time when you st- first started, or probably to where you are at. Well, the good news is, is we did get, stop using leeches last week. Is that good news? No, that was a joke. Oh. <laughs> I actually thought they. I thought there was a purpose to leeches. Well, actually, there is, but we don't <laughs> use them in cancer therapy oh. anymore. Do people think that they do? Oh, <laughs> well, that's myth number two. No leeches are ever used in. In cancer? Well, in not usually. Not okay. usually. <laughs> so, so, for instance, uh, prostate cancer is often controlled for years and years and years with hormonal therapy. Okay. Uh, some cancers, such as early stage lymphomas, might be treated and cured with radiotherapy. Yeah, right. Again, another area where we're very lucky that we have radiation almost on site, literally next door, yeah. uh, with um, the availability of highly accurate and modern radiation machines that provide very high doses of radiation just to tumours yes. and leave the normal good tissue alone. So, That's um, good. So not everyone, cancer often, everyone ends up on, cancer, uh, no, on chemo? No, often people with breast cancers treated purely with... Uh, hormonal therapy, melanomas might be treated just with targeted therapy and immune therapy. So not everybody who does have cancer ends up having chemotherapy. And you can rest assured that when we do offer chemotherapy, it's with a high degree of confidence that that chemotherapy is is a good and appropriate treatment that offers significant benefits mm. uh, You know, for e- each person that this is discussed with. Um, what about myth number two? Chemo does more damage than good. Well, 
that's uh, in. I guess in the old days when chemotherapy was in its infancy, yes, um, you know, it did have a lot more side effects than a lot of, than a lot of our modern drugs. Mm. Um, in particular, people say, "Oh, chemotherapy wipes out your immune system." Yes, I've heard that as well. Actually, doesn't. What it does is it can deplete the neutrophils, so the the cells that fight bacterial infections, and mm-hmm. it's usually very transient. But some really interesting work by one of our colleagues. Mm. Um, Uh, based here in Western Australia, showed that your overall immune system functions much better on chemotherapy than off. And that's because cancer is very cunning and very clever and learns how to suppress the immune system in several different ways Mm. to stop the immune system recognizing it and then fighting, you know, and engaging with the cancer. And what uh, chemo does is chemo, by killing off the cancer cells, it reduces the ability of the cancer cells to suppress the overall immune system in so many ways. So that's yet another myth. Myth, yeah. What about chemo is going to make all my hair fall out and I'm going to be sick and vomit? and be nauseous so nowadays thankfully you know severe nausea and vomiting is extremely rare it mm-hmm. still does happen very very occasionally and for reasons that we're not certain but nowadays our modern anti-nausea drugs are extremely effective at preventing nausea and vomiting so most of the time when i'm talking about chemo to patients i'll say uh, you'll actually be pleasantly surprised You'll feel fine. You shouldn't get nausea and vomiting. Mm. And in many cases, the chemo we use doesn't cause significant hair loss. So, um, you know, some chemotherapy recipes literally just don't don't cause it. And even when chemotherapy... recipes or regimens that do cause hair loss uh, are used we now have a new technique available here at st john of god subiaco hospital called the cold cap technique and it's literally a device that cools the scalp and stops chemotherapy from penetrating the hair follicles and in doing so it's successful about 70 percent of the time in preventing significant hair loss that's fantastic in terms of if you're a young woman and you have cancer and you have treatment that you won't be able to have children right now that's um a that's a very good question and i think that uh, there are certain things that happen bit to people surgically so for instance if someone has ovarian cancer yeah. they you know the ovaries are removed and obviously yes. that's going to affect fertility uh, for people with childbearing age you know y- young women who get breast cancer there is a chance that the chemo can affect fertility yes. so nowadays we're much more conscious about uh, employing techniques that do preserve uh, fertility and the option of having children in the future uh, you know for people undergoing these kinds of treatments mm. and there are uh, you know, m- many different ways in which that is done. And yeah. for instance, you know, young men with testicular cancer or, or with sarcomas, where the drugs may be, uh, you know, sig- may, yeah. may significantly reduce fertility, uh, we, uh, you know, recommend storages so that um, uh, DNA materials put away, you yeah. know, for use at a later date. And have you had patients and in, in those sort of stories that you could recount for us? Have you got a patient that you've you know, treated as a young person and they've gone on to have children? Oh, absolutely. Um, um, well, given that Perth is a fairly small community, I'm going to be very, very cagey about yes. how I answer that one. But uh, certainly uh, a young man who uh, I treated for testicular cancer who obviously lost a testicle surgically and, uh, you know, subsequently had two very large doses of chemotherapy to prevent, you know, his particular yeah. cancer coming back. 
uh, firstly, it's been highly successful. As Fantastic. In he, um, he's got no, you know, we're now six or seven years down the track with no sign of it having come back. So, That's great you know, news. So he's very, very, he's 98% likely to be cured forever. Yeah. Uh, and the other good news is he's furiously pumping out children like there's no tomorrow. So he and his wife have got this ever expanding family. And yeah. Um, it's really, really pleasing to see that um, to them, you know, the cancer was just a little bump in the road and yes. they put it behind them and, you know, life still goes on. Yeah. And it just shows you that there can be life after cancer, which Absolutely. sadly that's the other myth. That and I think I think one of the one of my big uh, uh, axes to grind yes. is that because we, 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 we unfortunately follow an American model where mm. uh, everything is about litigation yes. and fear of litigation. And so nowadays when people get briefed on their upcoming chemotherapy, they are generally getting briefed on every single side effect of every chemotherapy that's ever happened to anyone. Mm. And, you know, sometimes the list of what people are told is so long mm. that they completely miss the point that it's exceptionally unlikely that they'll get any of those side effects. Yeah. So literally, some people take it very literally when they get their chemotherapy education that they are expecting to have all those side effects. And, you know, things like um, tiny amounts of chemotherapy being excreted in the bodily fluids so that, um, you know, one of the things that some patients are told is, oh, you must double flush the toilet in case there is chemotherapy in the urine which remains in the bowl after a significant flush. Now... Let's not forget that these drugs, they're effective when they're given in high doses, in high concentrations intravenously, yes. splashing the tiniest few molecules of dilute chemotherapy on your skin. Yes. It's ludicrous to think that that poses a significant risk to safety. And I can't like, believe that that's something that goes, that, that's talked about out there and that people really worry about, but that's really sad, isn't it? Well, it is, and also sometimes people think that they must refrain from intimacy in their relationships when, um, you when know, they're having chemo. chemotherapy. Really? And, um, you know, when somebody asks me, oh, you know, is it still all right to, to yeah. be intimate with my partner? I say, well, as long as it's no more than 12 times per day, then I think you should be okay. But I can't believe, really, is that sad? It is, and I think I, no one has actually done a study to look at yeah. um, how much it destroys quality of life yes. to be told uh, things which are really based true. upon fear rather yeah. than any actual genuine facts. I mean, nobody can show you one person who has been harmed by a splash of toilet water in which someone might have passed urine who may have had chemotherapy the day before. Yeah. It's completely ludicrous. So what are some facts about chemo that we should know? Well, uh, chemotherapy is a drug which mostly is is uh, effective at targeting cancer cells that divide more quickly and have a lot of faults in their DNA and lots of faults in their metabolism. Uh, so the chemotherapy drugs are generally highly effective against the cancer cells and much less harmful to uh, much less harmful to you know to normal cells that have normal DNA and mm-hmm. uh, less faults with their metabolism. Yeah. Uh, the drugs are generally combined, you know, in in uh, uh, combinations that we call regimens, mm-hmm. and they're sometimes given uh, as two drugs together or three drugs together, or in some cases even you know four four uh, yeah. four separate drugs all all used together. Yeah, um, chemotherapy 
uh, has got a role to play in many conditions in which immune therapy is emerging as a, as a, as a better treatment. So, mm. for instance, with lung cancer at the moment, uh, in one of the trials in metastatic lung cancer, uh, chemotherapy versus immune therapy mm. showed that immune therapy worked slightly better. Oh, okay. However, when you compare chemotherapy to immune therapy or both, there is a massive synergy between the two. Oh, right. And the effect of using the two together is very much better than, mm. than uh, you know, se- sequential use. So, for instance, you know, People often say, "What do you What do you think is going to be the future? What's What's yeah, the future what of cancer future? treatment?" Yeah. I think we're going to see increasing use of chemotherapy and immune therapy together. The idea being that the chemotherapy damages the cancer cells, mm. and in doing so, presents fragments of the cancer cells to the immune system. So, in other words, you shatter the tumor with the chemo, or shatter the tumor with radiation. The tumour then interacts with the immune system. The immune system attacks and kills the cancer, producing a good long-term remission. Mm. So the future, we will see more chemotherapy plus immune therapy trials showing benefit. We'll also see combinations of new targeted therapies showing mm. effects, you know, and double immune therapies where... Uh, one of the trials that we're currently involved with is a trial which has a, an antibody that stops the cancer suppressing the immune system mm. together with one of our current immune drugs that revs up the immune system to go and attack the cancer. Mm. So things like uh, working out why is it that at, at the moment pancreatic cancer doesn't seem to respond very well mm. to immune therapies. What is it that about pan- that makes pancreatic cancer able to hide from the immune system? Mm. And I think we're going to see the development of new drugs that are designed to overcome these mechanisms uh, by which cells, you know, develop resistance to immune therapy. So yeah, right. it's pro- you know it's one of the most exciting times to work in this field. Really, yeah. you know, it's, and it's really really gratifying. So the future is hopeful for cancer treatments. I think the future is getting better and better day by day. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I think that everybody should take hope that you know even in 12 months time or two years time the you know the cancer treatment landscape is likely to be much broader and the number of options available for each patient is likely to get better and better what about the myth or worry that if they go and have treatment for their cancer that they won't be able to work or care for themselves or their family Again, um, you know, there are certain uh, chemotherapies which are very hard going and, and it, you know, sometimes it's quite tough for people who want to try and stay at work. But mm. many of the chemotherapy recipes are very tolerable. They can be given, you know, late on a Friday afternoon so people have the weekend have to relax. Have you got relax. patients like that? Oh, many, yeah. many patients. And, and I think that for a lot of people, work actually helps with people's sense of identity. Mm. Uh, it provides a welcome distraction so they're not literally sitting around all day you know, dwelling on the fact that they've got tumours or mm. cancers and that they've got to have treatment. So things like, uh, you know, hobbies. Hobbies are great to distract people. I, I had a lady who was having treatment for breast cancer with a fairly robust uh, chemotherapy recipe because she had mm. a very aggressive breast cancer. 
And at the age of 72, she was literally scuba diving every single day that she really? wasn't plugged into the chemo. I actually said, so I'm not, I don't know why you're bothering. And she said, oh, why is that? I said, have you seen the size of the white pointers out there? Yeah, exactly. So she promptly showed me a photo of a white pointer that she'd taken the day before while she was diving. Wow. But, and it puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Oh, it does. It does. And I think, uh, I think uh, you know, what's really important is life must go on. And that means, you're, you know, life as a person, as life as an individual, um, you know your your life as a family person, your life with your partner. Um, these are all things which you know, in terms of they all have a big priority mm-hmm. in trying to keep business as usual, trying to keep everything normal. And I think you're a person, not a condition. Exactly. You know, people saying well, you're a cancer patient. You know, I'm a human being. I'm I'm Jan. I'm you know I'm a mum. I'm a you know, I'm a partner. It's, yeah. it's, and I think uh, everyone, you know, everyone needs to realise, you know, that they, everybody's unique, and you know, so is their cancer, and, and so is their treatment. By the sound, the of treatment it. is becoming much more tailored for each, you know, specific individual. Yeah. So gone are the days that you you think that everyone's walking out of here needing surgery and and chemo by the end of this podcast. That's certainly the what I, the message I'm hearing. You know, I think I think you know my my take home message is um, uh, be open to discussion. Uh, ask the important questions when you see your oncologist. Uh, tell them what your fears are, uh, and write it all really down, important. and make sure you you know bring people with you. If and you always bring a second pair of ears because that's uh, that's super important. And um, you know, take hope that the treatments are changing thick and fast, and we're seeing many more people live long, happy lives. Uh, you know rather than uh, have their lives drastically shortened by these kind of diseases. Well, thank you so much for today. Thank you for asking me along. A big thank you to Dr Andrew Dean, who consults at St John of God Hospital in Subiaco, for giving his time and sharing his knowledge. To learn more about Dr Dean and St John of God Hospital Subiaco, visit sjog.org.au. And please, if you have further questions on cancer treatment, speak with your doctor. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share, as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening. 